0: great thanks kelly and thanks for setting this up um hello everyone uh again i know some of you i see some of your names my name is sam brooks i'm an attorney at community legal services Um, and i'm so i'm really excited that you guys are all here um i wanted to do this webinar um because i i'm not sure how many people do these types of um hearings around the state um so part of it is to uh, just give a give a brief overview of what to do but also to establish connections and let you know that I'm here um, and you ever have any questions my contact information is at the end of the presentation this is a issue that's near and dear to me so part of this is selfish as well just to establish contacts around the state um, that being said I want to jump right into it there's a lot to cover I'm not going to I'm dealing specifically today with um, involuntary discharges um, outside of the Medicare context Uh, many of you may see this um, uh, people being people receiving notices of non coverage for Medicare and um, oftentimes facilities treat these as discharge notices but I'm not going to go into today about how you uh, appeal um, that uh, a, a Medicare notice this is purely about um, involuntary discharges based on federal and state laws um, once um, the a notice has been issued. So the reason I slimmed it down was it's just a lot of information. I can give um, another training on that at another time. Um, so the go- today's goals are really understanding the rights and defenses around nursing home discharges under both state and federal law, strategies for advocacy with the nursing home, fair hearing strategies, um, and also um, establishing uh, you know, a network, and we can all um, hopefully, um, you could all use me as a resource or each other um, if you get into this type of practice. Um, so involuntary discharge, just to go back a little to the Medicare context, oftentimes what happens is um, for short, short-term stays, Medicare pays, um, and the facility often will issue what they call a Medicare notice of non-coverage, or a NOC. And that's a notice that says, we believe that your coverage will stop on this day. Um, And um, you certainly have appeal rights for that. However, that's not a discharge notice. Um, Facilities use these Medicare notices as discharge notices. They use them to bully residents um, to leave. And, um, but by law, it's not a discharge notice. If the person is going to be involuntarily discharged, a separate notice needs to be issued. And that's what we're dealing with today. We're dealing with when someone is being removed and they don't want to be. Um, so a lot of, most of this is federal law and we'll get right into it. You can only discharge for six statutorily permitted reasons. Um, and we'll go through each one. One, necessary for residents' welfare and facility cannot meet resident's needs. Um, this is a very common one. It often comes up with people who are severely cognitively impaired um, and the, facility just doesn't want to make the commitment to provide the appropriate care for that person. Um, so they'll say they can't meet the needs. We don't have a dementia ward or a dementia wing. Uh, and we're going to go through each of these um, in turn. Residents' health is sufficiently improved and no longer needs nursing facility level of care. Pretty self-explanatory. The safety of individuals in the facility is endangered by the resident. Just a very common one. Um, the health of the individuals in the facilities Would otherwise be endangered. And the resident has failed to pay after reasonable and appropriate notice. And lastly, the facility ceases to operate. Certainly, we're not as um, concerned about number six. Uh, However, there's still uh, discharge and appeal rights, um, which is important. But number six, you know, obviously, we're not going to try to keep them in a uh, facility where uh, (laughs) that doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, we're going to move through each of these um, and talk about some common scenarios. Um, written notice is required for every involuntary discharge. And I, I should say up front, if, if you're a nursing home operating in Philadelphia in, excuse me, in Pennsylvania, these regulations apply to you. Um, I'm not sure if there's any uh, nursing homes that don't take Medicare um, or Medicaid, and if they take any Medicare or Medicaid dollars, all these regulations apply. I'm sure there's maybe some private private facilities, but those aren't the type of people that um, we're dealing with, those aren't our clients. So these are gonna to apply to any facility that take Medicare and Medicaid. Um, so there has to be written notice when a facility intends an involuntary transfer or discharge. Even if the resident has been there for less than 30 days, notice must still be provided. So again, in that in that context of the Medicare notice, Just because they estimate Medicare is going to stop paying in a a few days doesn't mean that they can just kick you out. They have to issue another notice. Um, But practically, that rarely happens because they scare the uh, bejesus out of the resident. Um, And the resident either leaves or um, doesn't pursue um, appeal rights. Um, Facilities should provide notice 30 days in advance of proposed transfer or discharge Or as soon as practical if certain exceptions apply Um, if the resident is in has been in the facility for more than 30 days they're required to a 30-day notice Um, under 30 days they're not required a 30-day notice so that's things to know for long-term folks who have been in the facility that notice has to be issued at least 30 days prior to the date of discharge Um, and under thirty days it has to be as soon as practical. Unless certain exceptions apply. Uh, residents' welfare requires a move to another facility and a more immediate transfer of discharge is necessitated by the resident's urgent medical needs. Um, so they're saying again it's going to fall into that maybe that first discharge category. We can't meet their needs here. They need to go somewhere else. Uh, transfer discharge based on allegations that the resident is a danger to safety of health or others. Um, and a resident no longer needs the services. And as I said before, a resident has not resided in the facility for 30 days. Um, all of these can be found at the citation there in the Code of Federal Regulations and uh, 42483.15. So um, if the resident's been there for over 30 days, it's going to be very hard to convince a judge or anyone else that less than a 30-day notice is allowed. There are exceptions, but practically, um, there—if that person has been there for 30 days, there has to be a 30-day notice. Um, and in my experience, um, the, the courts will—or or, excuse me—the administrative courts will enforce that. Um, again. Questions, I'm looking at the group chat box. If you have any questions, if I'm going too fast or um, this is too confusing, just let me know in the box. It's awkward not being able to see anyone and just talking into space. Um, so the most one of the most easiest ways to, to, to deal with these is to make sure that the notice is 30 days um and i just had a someone who had a 29 i was helping someone the other day whose uh, client got a notice that was 29 days um, prior to the date of discharge and i would say that that notice needs to be rescinded and reissued because it's not 30 days what are not exceptions Um, when the transfer discharge is based of allegations of non-payment this is a very common Um, scenario where the facility says we're not getting paid. Um, Either the person um, is not financially eligible for Medicaid, or they're having a hard time getting the um, Medicaid grant uh, uh, approved. This is not a sufficient um, reason. Unless the the resident is being so uh, belligerent and unhelpful, um, it's not appropriate To discharge someone one for failure to pay or two earlier than the 30 days and we'll go into that later on Um, so there's a pretty high bar in these cases where the allegation is non-payment facility needs to show that somehow that resident hasn't been helping with the Medicaid grant notice contents and this is what's important you can often win these cases on the notices because facilities can't write an appropriate or correct notice um, and really i 'm not sure how many people do these hearings, um, so i 'm not sure how often they 're caught. but these are very important um, uh, parts right here in um, advocacy. It has to of course include the reason for the transfer or the discharge, of course the discharge date, where the person is going to be uh, discharged to, um, the right to appeal. Um, The name, address, phone number of the state long-term care ombudsman. Another good thing is that part of, um, there were some regulations passed within a couple years. Now whenever there's an involuntary discharge notice issued, it is sent to the long-term care ombudsman. So oftentimes they get involved. Um, If the resident has a developmental disability or is mentally ill, they have to provide the number for um, those types of individuals um suffering from uh, those types of disabilities the notice must be given to the resident and if known an immediate family member or resident or legal representative and it must be in a written in a language that the resident or resident's rep will understand so obviously if resident is not english speaking it has to be in the language that the resident understands and it also has to be um uh, in layman's terms and, and and not in terms that Um, an average nursing home resident wouldn't understand. So oftentimes these are some improper justifications for transfer or discharge. Um, Resident is disruptive or argumentative, resident does not follow facility policies, resident has injured staff members, refuses treatment, or the care is too burdensome and expensive. These are often um, scenarios Uh, that uh, these are often reasons that they try to discharge individuals, and they cloak them in some of those initial six categories that say, hey, um, these are the only reasons you can um, discharge folks. Um, And these aren't, um, and we'll go over how to show this later. These aren't appropriate reasons. Um, These are folks um, who are severely impaired and severely disabled, um, and uh, the facility has to make accommodations for their disabilities and their various um, problems and in the next couple of slides we'll talk about how to deal with that. Um, the basis for transfer and discharge it must be documented in the resident's clinical record um, unless of course the facility is ceasing to operate. Um, this documentation must be done by the resident's phys- physician when um, it is Because the resident is being discharged by, um, because the welfare requires a transfer of discharge, or based on allegations that the resident no longer needs facility services. So, in those instances, the documentation in the resident's clinical record must be done by the resident's physician. Um, If it is based on um, endangers of health or safety or others, then the documentation may be done by any physician. in all other instances, documentation may be done by facility staff. So uh, as part of advocacy with, this, with these types of cases, you're going to ask for the nursing home records. And again, um, this is dotting I's and crossing T's, but if this documentation isn't made by the appropriate people, appropriate staff, um, that's one way to get the notice um, rescinded and dismissed. Um, and part of that, at least I find with this, is if you put up a little resistance to these nursing homes, is they will give up. Um, and they, uh, you, you'd say, well, what, well, you got the notice rescinded, what does that do? Um, but oftentimes, um, once that notice is rescinded, um, the nursing home has felt like you know, they've been caught, they're, they're discharging um, for an inappropriate reason or the notice is bad, and they, will, they won't try again. So sometimes that's the victory, just getting the notice rescinded um, and sending, uh, you got shots across their bow that someone is watching and enforcing the law. Um, So a safe and orderly discharge. And this is what's very important. I think this is another aspect and this is where we win a lot of cases. So even if one of those six areas are met, it doesn't mean that you can discharge them anywhere. Um, There must be a safe discharge, and that has to be a part of um, the notice, and it has to be a part of the discharge. Um, So it's not that the facility just needs to show that one of those things are met. but Even after one of those things are met, the facility has to show that there's appropriate appropriate place and um, appropriate care for that person who's being discharged. Um, And it says right there in the Code of Federal Regulations must document sufficient preparation and orientation to ensure safe discharge. Um, these are sp- specific to involuntary discharge, but are also um, part of the general obligation of the nursing home to provide for a discharge. Every nursing home resident needs a discharge plan. That's part of federal law. Um, and uh, that's whether you're being discharged or not. They, they have to have a discharge plan. For people who are involuntarily discharged, these are enhanced protections. Um, so oftentimes um, the, the discharge plan is um, done without any participation of the resident or the family, and that is violates um, federal law under 42 um, CFR 483.21, as you see there. However, um, practically uh, courts or the hearing officers in these cases, which we'll talk about later, um, aren't going to stringently enforce that. I think this is an important one. I used to do this presentation based simply on federal law, but there's this nice nugget here in the Pennsylvania Code that says the facility is responsible to assure that appropriate arrangements are made for a safe and orderly transfer that the resident is transferred to an appropriate place that is capable of meeting the resident's needs. That's a really good, strong piece of regulation right there that um, um, can be used as um, a way to defend against these involuntary discharges. They're being discharged home, but there's no services there. They're being discharged, in some cases, I, we get these cases in Philadelphia, to, to um, homeless shelters, and, uh, to other places um, that aren't safe for people who need nursing home level of care. So not only does the federal law require uh, appropriate and safe discharge, so does the Pennsylvania Code. Um, so these are all uh, tools we can use to, to uh, appeal these notices. Uh, so filing an appeal. Uh, this is what it says in the rules. These, these rules are strangely governed by um, The nursing home discharge, involuntary discharge rules are governed by an appendix um, in the the Pennsylvania code that is um, arguably illegal, but we'll we'll talk about that later. But this is what needs to be on the appeal um, if you're filing the appeal of an involuntary uh, discharge. Intervention requested has to be right on top. Um, The notice has to be included. um, and you have to be, BHA, I'm pausing here out of frustration, Bureau of Hearings and Appeal, um, say that they no longer accept faxed appeals. These are all governed by, um, BHA in Harrisburg. Um, under, that's what I think. At least they all, in Philadelphia and the surrounding counties, um, all of these hearings are done by BHA in Harrisburg. I, I don't know if it's different in other parts of the state. If you, if, if anyone has experience with that, I'd like to hear it. But BHA is adamant now that they won't accept fax um, appeals. I still fax them anyway um, because they're time sensitive, and um, there's really no support for them to say that they can't. Uh, we can't send it by fax, but I also mail their religion, uh, original um, file it right away as long as it's. Um, it, you know, it can be before the proposed transfer discharge date, the day before. Um, in the appeal, in the in the notice, um, excuse me. Hold on. Let's go, If there's no written notice, you can still file the appeal. So if they're saying, "Hey, um, Mr. Smith, you got we're discharging you tomorrow, but they issue no notice. And this does happen often you can still file an appeal um, the same way. You issue, you write the same letter, except you add that the facility has failed to issue any written notice, and that the BHA sustain your appeal and preclude any discharge um, until a proper notice is issued. And oftentimes, again, once they're caught like this, they will, they will give up. Um, they won't actually come back and issue a notice. Um, So it's very important to know that just because the notice wasn't filed, um, if if there's some oral indication was made that the person is going to be forced to leave in the the upcoming days, um, you can still file an appeal. Um, So this is what you do if notice is defective. If notice doesn't contain the statutory required elements, uh, um, move for the notice to be quashed. So most likely successful, but we're successful, is notice failed to state discharge location at all. Some facilities will do this. They'll issue a notice, but they won't even say where the person's going. they failed to indicate the date of transfer discharge and failed to indicate the reason. Um, so if those are issues in the notice, you want to put that in your appeal letter to the Bureau of Hearing and Appeal. Um, you want to say that this notice is defective, it doesn't meet the statutory requirements, and you want the notice to be rescinded or quashed. Um, how you do this um, is somewhat time sensitive. Um, if if you might not put it in the notice, and or you might not file it as soon as possible if it can buy you more time, if that makes sense. If you're asking them to rescind the notice, um, you want Um, to have as much time for your client as possible in the facility before you ask that to be rescinded. However, practically how that works, we'll talk about in a second when we're talking about these hearings. Um, So, um, I'm going to move on to hearings. I'm I'm moving at a very brisk pace here, probably faster than I need to be. Um, Sam? Yeah. I'm sorry. If I could just interrupt, I need to launch the first poll for CLE credit at this time. Um, It'll be up for two minutes for everyone so please respond and you can continue. Thank you. Thank you Um, All right, so I'm going to move on to um, how uh, these hearings are conducted and this is where it gets even um, very bizarre, but if there's questions again just put them in the box and also we'll be able to talk at another time too if you have Um, you'll have my contact information Um, so moving on hold on one second so the hearing what will happen is that once your appeal is filed the hearing will be scheduled Um, and again in our experience these hearings are all conducted out of uh, Harrisburg so um, practically they're all going to be telephone hearings. however um, we We'll talk about some strategies around this. Um, There is one ALJ that does all the hearings, I believe, for um, the southeastern Pennsylvania. I'm not sure if it's crew across the state. It's ALJ named Lois Lara. And um, she is problematic in some ways, and we'll talk about that. So we've developed a strategy to try to ask for hearings in person, um, to get it out of the Harrisburg office and maybe get it to a more friendly or more reusable ALJ. And I'll talk about that more as we go, um, go on. On uh, the hearing, um, we'll talk about residents' rights prior to the hearing, in person versus telephone, evidence, witnesses, and the importance of uh, medical testimony. So just like in any other hearing, um, you have a right to examine files, documents, and records to be used at a hearing. Um, Subject to a reasonable time or place so once your appeal is filed I think at the same time you're also sending a letter uh, to the nursing home asking them for a copy of the, the medical record and any other documents they plan to rely on at the hearing um, you have a right to them prior to the hearing and I would object to anything that you weren't allowed to be um, you weren't re- they didn't review prior to the hearing You have a right to be represented by a person of choice, but you do not have a right to an attorney. Um, And you do have a right to bring witnesses. Um, You have a right to question and refute any testimony or evidence, including opportunity to confront and cross-examine adverse witnesses. So the same rights you have in any sort of fair hearing with um, a public benefit. And a right to continued Medicaid payment for care until hearing is held and decision is reached. Um, so, uh, if you're on a Medicaid grant, your benefits continue. So, again, getting back to this, um, in-person hearings are difficult um, because we're dealing with we're dealing with individuals who are disabled in a nursing home. Um, however, um, talking about your severely disabled client over the phone, um, it, the judge does not get to see him or her. Um, and it's much more easier for the judge to um, dehumanize or ignore um, a, a nursing home residents' problems if they can't see them. Um, additionally, the ALJ that conducts these hearings um, conducts them with an iron fist, um, does not take into consideration that the the resident may be very impaired, um, isolated, not understanding of the process, but they're very strict she won't allow hearsay she won't allow um, relaxed as, as general hearing so our strategy is going to be to try to ask for uh, hearing in person and try to get them out of the uh, the, the uh, for this I imagine they would balk at your request um, but they etc you have an and that's what this language is here. Um, so the rights of appellant. The appellant has the right to appear in person at the hearing and may represent himself. Hearings will be held at the regional office of hearings and appeals. Um, so there's no support really in the. Um, yeah, some Kelly, do you have your phone on? Not on mute. I'm getting feedback. Um, let me try muting it. Is that any better, Deb? I know Deb Steve said it was going in and out. Um, I'm going to continue as if you can hear me, but please put into the group chat if you're having a hard time hearing me or it's cutting in and out. Um, OK. Um, so. This slide here is one I added recently. Um, after some bad experiences again we've been having um, with these ALJs, so if, if, it's, if it's possible, um, I would always suggest having an in-person hearing. One, build sympathy for your client. Um, I had a hearing recently uh, where my client could barely walk, and the facility was saying, "Oh, the client can dress himself. He he can." Feed himself, and anyone looking at him could tell that's not true. Um, He couldn't feed himself, he was incontinent, uh, he couldn't dress himself, but the judge didn't see the person um, and couldn't see them. And um, it was very easy for the judge to say, Oh, to take the word of the facility um, when any uh, reasonable person looking at my client would see that they were not being truthful. Uh, So it serves two purposes of in person hearing. Um, One, it helps build sympathy for your client, um, and two, um, it gets it away from bad ALJs. Um, I'm not sure that you'll get a great ALJ, but um, it's better to take a roll of the dice than to deal with the one that we've been dealing with. Um, Obviously, telephone hearings are going to have to be an option for some folks, folks that are sick and can't get out of the facility. Or even for, you know, even for if you're far from a hearing office, it just won't be practical. Um, Again, you're losing the luxury, or not the luxury, but you're losing the ability to have um, your client humanized because you can see them. Um, What I might suggest in situations like this is if your client has, if there's some reason for pictures, um, for evidence, that that be submitted so the judge has. Um, pictures of your client um, to see um, it, it's amazing it's really easy to treat someone like like garbage when you don't see them um, and uh, unfortunately I think that happens um, to all too often so again um, this is where it gets very bizarre and something that we really need to pay attention to um, and what makes these hearings very hard um, As I said before, ALJ is now really refusing to allow hearsay and um, applying stricter hearing rules, and that's hearing with one N, not two N's. Again, in a recent hearing, um, the the ALJ, very strict about hearsay, um, very strict about procedural, not very Um, uh, relaxed hearing Um, and this overwhelms a nursing home resident Um, I had a hard time doing the hearing because it was so bizarre Um, imagine what it's like for a nursing home resident um, that's stuck in a bed you want to have a copy of the nursing home file so you can submit documents to BHA that you intend to use to direct across so you want to refute that you want to you want to have the file so you know what you're dealing with This is in red. This is the most bizarre thing, um, and I think it might be the only state in the United States that does this, but places the burden on the nursing home resident. So the burden at the hearing is on the nursing home resident to show that it is an improper, involuntary discharge. Um, For those of you who do um, these hearings, you know, hearings um, that, uh, you know, welfare hearings, you're well aware that the burden is always um, that the burden is always on the state or the agency making that um, the negative uh, taking the negative action. However, about 20 years ago or 25 years ago, um, Pennsylvania issued these very specific uh, rules guarding regarding involuntary nursing home. Um, sorry, I'm reading questions and talking at the same time, uh, regarding involuntary nursing home uh, discharges. And this is some advocacy we're doing on it. One, we think it's an unpromulgated regulation. Um, it's a regulation that binds the the, 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 the Bureau of Hearing and Appeals, um, and it was never properly promulgated. Two, it's just so contrary to what is accepted both nationally and in the state. There's no other, um, you know, State agency-run appeals, where the burden is on um, the 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 appellant. Um, No, I'm I'm like I'm liking to hear this. Yeah, so uh, there's a comment here. I've had a few hearings in which the burden was on the home, but the last few have been on the resident. And I'm wondering if that was. um, I'm reading this question from or the statement from Jennifer Costello. If that was with um, Lois Lara. Um, I was I had one of these hearings and I was so shocked by it I mean it really my client was being discharged because he had assaulted someone in the facility Um, my client was severely impaired uh, he had dementia he didn't know what he was doing and someone had wandered into his room and got in bed with him and he assaulted them Um, and the the judge expected me to present that, to refute that evidence before it was even introduced. Um, So the judge expected me to um, to both, one, introduce why that the resident was being discharged, and two, uh, refute it. And and, and it's very bizarre, Um, and it's wrong and illegal. And hopefully, um, it's something that we're going to change. We're in the process now of doing advocacy on this um, and plan on um, either, this is something that is very, very, um, right. Exactly, Don. Doesn't do process. E- exactly. Um, hopefully it's, hopefully the, the people that make the decisions at DHS will realize how wrong-minded this is and, and rescind, um, the, the, or stop relying on this unpromulgated regulation. Um, however it is obviously an issue that we would take to litigation, um, the litigation if that did not work um, so um, let me go back up I, there was a couple more questions but you as of now the burden is on the resident. so you have to realize how to how to deal with that and, and it's very hard um, the ALJ said to me well well Counsel, you haven't even brought up the, illegal, the, the, the discharge reason. And I said, well, I, why would I introduce evidence against my client in order to refute it? But um, this ALJ, is very by the book, she is not friendly to nursing home residents. My client was being discharged to a homeless shelter. They were putting him in a homeless shelter. He couldn't, he was incontinent, he wore diapers. And she didn't think that this was wrong um so that's what we're dealing with unfortunately um in in these hearings so you need to be prepared for that and this is part of the reason why i'm saying ask for in-person hearings because you get it um, away from them Uh, so Catherine asked does this strict ALJ apply these strict rules even handedly Um, in my experience the the ALJ um, does um, however I would say overall um, how the system is based she's much more friendly to facilities she finds um, if the facility um, has something documented in the chart she's going to go with that Um, so that's the problem unless you have something that can um, unless you anticipate what the facility is going to say correctly and introduce the evidence it's it's biased against the nursing home resident from the beginning. And she certainly uh, doesn't make any accommodations for that, for, for that resident. So that's something to be aware of. Um, the nursing home should, I mean, it, they're not legally required to provide a private room um, to the resident for a hearing. Um, I think you should ask. Um, uh, but they're not legally required. Um, I found if you do ask they will provide it because they have a right to appear and if the resident can't leave the facility um, that the the facility must make that I would argue that the facility must uh, make a room open but there's no explicit um, uh, provision but so again not preparing now you need to prepare um, in such a way that you're yeah and Jean Erbin Jean asked Skype that's another way to do it um, um, and it, it, it the, the Skype is certainly um, something that um, we could ask for um, but again we're trying to get it out of the hands of um, this one ALJ in Harrisburg um, because she um, is so Uh, not sympathetic to nursing home residents. Um, uh, But I would, because the the regulations specifically state um, anticipate having uh, hearings at the facility. Um, And again, these regulations were written prior to Skype, um, but obviously we're in the 21st century now. And again, if you do have Skype, you have the opportunity for um, the person to, to be seen, your client to be seen. Um, pictures tell a thousand tales, um, so in, in an issue about oftentimes, so in my client's case, um, what I was talking about, um, with, with a client who was being discharged for, um, the assault, um, we argued one ever since the resident, ever since they started providing proper care to my client, there have been no issues. And two, it was an improper discharge. Again, so there's a two-prong um, element there. Um, so, say they're discharging them to a nursing, to a homeless shelter, or to discharging them to a home that has um, too many stairs, or a home that's filthy, or a home that doesn't have water. Pictures of the discharge location is important. Um, you could even get someone to t- testify at the hearing. Unfortunately for me, um, I had called the facility, uh, excuse me, I had, called the, I had called the homeless shelter and they were. They said to me right over the phone, oh, this happens all the time, and what we do is just call 911 and we send them to the hospital. And I said, well, will you be willing to testify to that or work with us on that? And the guy was very gung ho. Then he must have gone and talked to somebody because he had stopped answering my calls. I think they didn't want to be depicted as a, Facility that wouldn't take anyone um, but having someone on the line that says no this is in a safe place or having that guy say we would not be able to meet um, the needs of your client if he was discharged here um, obviously it's very powerful and should be controlling um, so let's move on Yeah, I'm reading. I mean, obviously, um, CLS, and I'm sure many of you are we want, hearsay, we want hearsay evidence when it benefits us, but we don't want it when it um, doesn't benefit us. So um, there's certainly been situations where I, in, in my case, I tried to get it in through hearsay, um, and the judge scolded me, um, but I also objected to hearsay from the other side as well. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Um, we win a lot of hearings at CLS based on hearsay objections. Um, so um, it, it, it's, a strategical, it's a strategic um, uh, move as well. So I want to talk about some of these um, reasons, so if the, the discharge reasons and what you argue at the hearing. So if the discharge is for the client doesn't need the services anymore, you need to refute that. Um, So you need to get like a third-party medical assessment. Oftentimes, this can be done um, by uh, asking the AAA to come out and do an assessment for home and community-based services. Um, And um, it's the same level of care requirement as uh, the nursing home. Except, So it's, it's called Nursing Facility Clinically Eligible, NFCE. Um, so if the, if the allegation is that the person is no longer NFCE, have them, have them re- evaluated by the AAA. Um, and um, the AAA can come out and do one of their um, you know, assessments. And if the AAA says, oh yeah, this person's eligible for home and community-based services, you have some evidence to the contrary um, that um, the resident no longer needs those services. However, even then, I know this judge in the face of that has still sided with uh, the facility I'm um, saying that um, that is not controlling however it's evidence um, and remember you have appeal rights after this so um, it, it doesn't stay there um, you know it doesn't stay with that judge forever and you can ask for reconsideration to the to the um, secretary and you're building your evidentiary record um, other Sometimes your resident has a doctor that they see outside in the community, um, and it's not affiliated with the, the facility. Because the problem is, is once a resident is in the facility, most of the time, all they're seeing are facility doctors. And that facility doctor is going to do the bidding of what the nursing home wants. Um, in my case, the facility doctor got on the phone and just didn't, obviously just didn't even know my client, said, oh, the client can do his ADLs and all this. and. Um, It was clear that the client couldn't, Um, but there's an obvious conflict there between the interests of the nursing home and the interests of our client. So, if there's obviously an outside doctor, um, even you know, oftentimes residents are taken out to specialists. Even specialists, even someone who's sympathetic to the client, um, can provide you know some um, a statement or even testify at the hearing um, to say, no, this client still needs skilled care. If the reason for discharge is related to the resident's health, or your dis- defense is the discharge location is unsafe, um, having uh, excuse me, um, having another a third party um, that w- will will testify in your client's interest is important. Again, it says attending physician from nursing home. It's very rare that an attending physician will t- will contradict. Um, the facility Um, if the nursing home attending physician um, refuses to participate um, you can subpoena them if there's if there's information in the file that's problematic Um, which I think is important Um, if there's something in the file that you know two days ago the client was needing help with his ADLs but they don't now um, you you want you want to be able to ask questions well why is that why is that happening Um, so uh, oftentimes the attendant physician will be hostile to you as well. Again, if you can't get a doctor to testify, see if they can write a letter. Um, Witnesses in these hearings, um, obviously the resident, um, family members, the the, the, the AAA workers, the independent um, assessment broker workers, um, anyone that can provide some evidence. Family members are going to be important for family members are going to be important for um, say involuntary discharges to unsafe places if they're trying to discharge your resident home have the have the husband or the wife or the mother say i can't take care of this person in my house um uh, there's there's 15 stairs i'm i'm 87 years old and i can't help my my son um uh, climb the stairs i had a case like that they wanted to send him home um a 60 year old man who had a stroke at work they wanted to send him to Live with his 87-year-old mom, who was supposed to, um, you know, take care of him, change his diapers, and do all that. And she needed to be present at the hearing to testify. I'm 87 years old. I can barely get up the stairs myself. I can't do that. Um, family members aren't going to be as helpful when we're talking about medical issues. Um, I mean, they're not. They're not medical professionals. However, they're helpful in the sense that they're there every day, saying, "I feed my. I can't. My my my." <clears throat> Brother can't feed himself. I feed him. I help him dress. Um, so that's the type of helpful testimony you can get out of family members. Obviously, questions of um, uh, diagnoses or, or um, you know, how, how, more arcane medical questions aren't going to be as helpful. Um, the AAA. If they come out and find the person to be NFC, get the AAA on your side. Um, if you want documents, um, you can ask for a subpoena. From the judge, it has to be 15 days prior to the hearing. Um, So, uh, documents—if they're refusing to give um, you uh, the file or any other medical records you think are helpful—you can ask for a subpoena. Um, I would. Rhonda asked, um, "How do you get the doctor's letter in? Do you need a custodian of records?" I would just have the doctor. uh, I would just submit it prior to the hearing. Um, I don't think these facilities are savvy enough to object. Maybe they would. um, but I would deal that. Um, you know, if they do object, I would ask for an opportunity to provide testimony from from the doctor um, to get over any hearsay objection. Um, oftentimes, the, the sometimes these facilities are represented by attorneys. Oftentimes, it's the administrators who aren't very savvy. Um, but um, that's a good question. Um, if if you can't get it in, you got to try to get the doctor to testify. Okay, and these are common scenarios that I want to talk about. Um, Non-payment, if you could show that that if it hasn't been filed or is pending, you need to show why that is. Um, Residents stuck in a nursing home, how are they supposed to get five years of bank records while they're in a nursing home? How are they supposed to go find out how much their life insurance policy is when they're stuck in a nursing home? if M- so, you have to explain why um, it's pending or why the appropriate, um, you know, support for the application, the appropriate verification has. It's not because of non-compliance. It's because the resident um, has a hard time getting them, um, or MA has been denied and um, appeal has filed, and you're you're pursuing that appeal. Um, and the only time you're really going to find that these are that they might be successful is where the resident just refuses to pay they have money and they refuse to pay or they refuse to provide any information to help with the, the medical assistance application because for long-term care this is all going to be Medicaid and if they're failing to cooperate um, that, that you're going to have a hard time defending that um, so, but again, just because they haven't been, if it's been a six months or a year, it doesn't mean that they can discharge them. If it, the resident is, is acting in good faith and trying their best, um, they can't discharge them for that reason. Um, resident is endangering the health or safety of other residents or staff. Um, hold on one second, and we'll talk about, and resident's health has improved. So these are the defenses. Um, if We already went over, um, well, let's go over them again non-payment the law provides for transfer or discharge only when resident has not paid residents should not be penalized where a family member or conservator is not paying um, that that means that um, oftentimes you know because these people are isolated um, the family members are the ones that have to get this information together failure for the family members to do it should not fall upon the resident, and that's a defense as well. Um, If MA is still pending, you argue that discharge is premature because MA status is not final, and that nursing home will get paid once MA is approved. If it's denied, file an appeal, um, and argue to BHA that it's under review and it's not final. Um, Again, facility has an obligation under social services to assist residents with legal financial problems. Uh, Focus on what the facility has not done to address the underlying payment problem. If your client is so severely disabled and there's no one in the community to help them, what has the facility done to help that resident obtain the information to become eligible for Medicaid? Um, so it, it, just because that, that their payment isn't there, there are, there are affirmative defenses um, uh, uh, to, to these scenarios. Um, Rhonda just asked how long is it taking for them to schedule the hearing? Is there an automatic preclusion once appeal is filed? Yeah. Um, yes. So you have to, So one, it takes about a month or two months, I think, for them to be dis- maybe less, maybe less for these to be um, scheduled. Um, and you want to ask for preclusion um, once the appeal is filed. Um, generally, they will do that. Um, th- what they'll do is they'll send, they'll issue an order stating, um, st- you know, the appeal has been filed any discharges precluded pending the outcome of a hearing. Um, but I would always ask for that. Um, I would ask specifically for the VHA to issue a preclusion order stopping the um, uh, discharge until the um, fair hearing is conducted. And in any, not until it's conducted, but until a decision has been issued. Sam, if I could interrupt here, this is Kelly. I'm going to be launching the second poll for the CLE credits. You'll have two minutes to respond. Thank you. You're okay, go on, Sam, thanks. Great, Uh, hold on one second. Um, So other defenses, we'll get to the other two um, in a second, but other defense, facility is not identified a more appropriate facility. Um, So oftentimes you will say, you know, they'll say, well, we don't have the resources to help this person. And one, if you're running a nursing home in Pennsylvania, you should have the resources to help anyone who is nursing home facility clinically eligible. Why are you in the nursing home business if you can't help people that need nursing home care? Um, And what other facilities, what is in the other facility that um, is more appropriate? Because sometimes the facility will discharge to another facility. And if that person doesn't want to go to another facility, um, um, they have to show what is present at that other facility that's not present at the current facility. Um, and your argument is that there isn't anything. Um, this home is no different than the home um, that you want to transfer them to. And why, why, what is that that other home can meet the needs that you can't? Um, other reasons, um, You know, the facility is far away. Um, it's 30, 40 minutes from the one that they're in. That's, that's not fair. The resident has connections to the community. Um, if it's another nursing home, you have to show that the need for nursing home care, um, again, they have to show why they can provide care that they can't. And oftentimes what this is is just um, an effort to, to get rid of individuals that they can't take care of, such as individuals with dementia, individuals that are a low men risk, Individuals that require additional care and, in turn, additional funding. Um, but they have to show, again, um, why the other facility can can um, provide the care that they can't. Lois Lara, L-O-I-S-L-A-R-A, is the ALJ in Harrisburg. She really knows I don't like her. Some of this is going to get back to her, I know. Um, again, this is what we talked about. Um, under law, the facility must provide services to attain or maintain the highest practical, um, practicable physical, mental, and psychosocial well-being. Um, why can't that facility do this? Why are they in the business of doing that? Um, and that's the argument they need to make. Um, some We had a case once where they wanted to discharge him because the man was so obese, um, he couldn't get in and out of his room. Um, that arguably violated the ADA, and they got them to. Um, widen the door, but it was an inappropriate discharge, um, because why could another facility do it where they couldn't? Um, Let's talk about, let me just skip ahead, okay. So resident, other defenses, resident, again, in certain instances as articulated earlier, resident's physician has not documented the need for the transfer of the discharge. Facility has failed to prepare the resident for discharge. uh, resident poses no danger or safety to health or others, and facility is able to meet resident's needs. These are all very hard things to do um, when the burden is on you. Um, but um, obviously, um, you have to develop a strategy to be able to do that. And here are some of the strategies here. Um, so if facility claims the resident's behavior is aggressive, disruptive, and it threatens others. So if facility is saying that it threatens the resident's um, behavior is a threat to the health or safety of others, Um, You have to really expose that for what it is must show what services it offered to alleviate these behavioral problems Transfer discharge should not be on the list my client who assaulted a person um, He did so because he was on medications and he wasn't being supervised correctly after they offered additional services to alleviate the behavioral problems There were no other incidents for months Um, We should win on that alone. I didn't even though I pointed that out to the judge Um, So, again, but that is something the law supports. So just because an ALJ in Harrisburg says it's not relevant, it is. Um, Show that there are residents with similar problems. You know, oftentimes it's smoking. You know, show that other residents smoke. Show that other people, um, you know, smoke in undesignated areas. Um, Injury to staff. Um, Again, what training has been provided in dealing with these problems? Um, I mean, residents, most of the time when it's injuries of staff, it's because of behavioral issues related to cognitive impairment. And you can't hold a resident liable for that. Um, There will be scenarios where there's violent people in a nursing home, and those will be harder to defend. But again, if you're in a nursing home and you have behavioral problems related to your disability, they need to be providing additional care. So that's how you're going to deal with those issues, is saying, one, um, there's other folks with these problems. Two, what have you done to address these issues? Um, whether or not the judge will accept, them, that's a different case. Um, so I raced through some of this. And again, it, it, it's really hard to do one of these on the web um, without seeing people's faces and everything. Um, but I, want, I was just hoping, I don't know how many people do these hearings around the state, um, but I think it's something that we really need to get into doing more. Um, because there, there are cases that you can win, one, through bad notice. Improper discharge and hopefully some of these strategies today will inform your practice on how to do it Um, The hearings are a problem and CLS is currently working on that Um, We believe that all the hearings should be governed by the same rules that every um, Hearing is governed by under 55 PA code 275 um, and We are working on that for now you need to anticipate these bizarre, crazy hearings. This is my contact information. I'd love to hear from people. Yeah, we'll share a copy of the PowerPoint. Um, i love to hear from people, and I mean it. Um, I want to hear what's going on in other parts of the state, and I want to be supportive of your practice in these. Um, These are cases where people get injured and people can die. Um, They're discharging people um, to facilities that, um, uh, you know, discharging people. To places where they shouldn't be my client I lost that hearing Um, my client um, the the judge held that it was okay to discharge my client to to a homeless shelter so that's what we're dealing with we're doing advocacy on that but together if we collaborate I'm helpful to I want to be helpful um, we can um, we can work on these cases together Um, again I'm sorry for being so uh, quick in some places, and I know there's a lot of questions, so you can email me or call me. Um, Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Everyone have a good holiday.